folks. Welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. Uh, this is uh, Eric, the ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... Dan, I'm the ambassador of Nonsense. Hello, everybody. And uh, I'm ready to and, go. Uh, I have my dandrum in hand this time, so I won't be taking oh a break to go gosh. make one. Are you really trying to pass off a drink named after yourself to make it like popular or everybody's going to start That's right. talking about dandrums? That's right. One day okay. I, I want to go into a Whatever. bar one day and say, I'd like a dandrum and they know what I mean. Okay. Because like all three people of the ones who actually hear our podcast are going to... They're going to know what that is. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is like the first time in a long time that we have not skipped our uh, our uh, uh, recording session. That's right. So, and you know what? I forgot to look at uh, current events before we started, so Uh-oh. I'm going to have to wing that. That's okay. You, uh, you can cut it out. Yeah. Okay, so today we're going to... I'm not even sure what to call this, but we're going to talk about poverty in general and how Catholics personally are supposed to react to poverty and then maybe get into uh, more about that in in how the community should handle poverty and finally how the church should handle poverty. Um, yeah. And but it's kind of a... You know, the thing is, the subject itself is not really black and white the way it was a long time ago. I, poverty today means something very different from poverty uh, a thousand years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's that's certainly true. And it, it's kind of, um, <laughs> you know, it, I think once upon a time and like a thousand years ago, for example, I don't think people worried about poverty. Um, it, 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 uh, I, that, that deserves a little explanation. I don't think people had a concept of poverty as a, a thing that, that kind of like a, a, um, we, we kind of see poverty as a phenomenon. Okay, what are we going to do about yeah. poverty? A thousand years ago, poverty was a state that somebody lived in. I, oh, you know, that person is living in poverty. But what people worried right. about was the poor. Okay, what do you do? one of our Christian duties is to help the poor. And the poor were people. It, it wasn't some kind of phenomenon that we take on and and say, oh well, in order to it isn't achieve isn't something you would cure. Yeah, it, exactly. Something you would help. It wasn't this a disease. It, it was a condition that people were in, and you help those people. And there's not, you know, you look through things like the Bible. There's not a lot of talk about ending poverty. No, there's there's helping the the widows and the orphans and and. Uh, and and even the uh, the aliens and and so on and so forth, um, individual people who through whatever circumstances are unable to care and provide for themselves, we have a responsibility to help them. But one thing that I think has always been uh, part of this issue is the fact that I think it's always been true 
that certain some amount of poverty is self-inflicted. Yes. Yeah, certainly. I, you you hear stories about rich merchants who lose everything because of drinking or gambling, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's always been a thing. Right. And it's a thing now. Yeah, yeah. And it's, but there's no real talk about that as if this poor person is different than this poor person. They're still just the poor. Right, right. And that's it. In fact, it's kind of interesting that uh, it seems to me that when the Bible talks about the poor, especially the poor that uh, that seem to um, get special attention and favor from God, um, it it seems to to more generally uh, identify specific kinds of poor as i said like widows and orphans and so forth um not merely say the irresponsible not your street drunkards and so on and so forth okay i've i've heard this argument i hear this a lot actually um and in america you 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 go past intersections and stuff like that. There's always a guy out there with uh, trying to get money, um, and I think I think it's fair to say most of these people are heroin addicts. Uh huh. Yep. I, I in today's cities, if you see someone on the corner, you're you're not really. Uh, there's nothing wrong with just assuming. That this person is a heroin addict. But I I say that because assuming that someone is a heroin addict is not necessarily a judgment on them. Oh, right. Right. I mean, I've, but, I've said that to people and they would say, you have no right to judge them as if I'm going to let that somehow um, be a part of my decision whether to give them money or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if you have the same reaction to someone who is on heroin or isn't on heroin, uh, there's nothing wrong with making that assumption. Right, right. It's it's something that uh, it more le- leads you to consider, okay, what kinds of things might be uh, beneficial to helping people not get into that situation. I mean, it might, might lead you to just decide you're going to, I don't know. Give aside from helping them, you might give money to say uh, addiction recovery programs or something like that. If if you think that's one of the major causes of there is that uh, right that kind of stuff. Yeah. Hold on a second. My dog has some kind of weird pimple on her lip, and when she comes in from outside, she rubs her lip all over the carpet, trying to pop and it. Makes these weird growling noises it's weird she's trying to pop Um, pop her pimple i guess that's what's going on uh i guess it itches her i I don't even know what it is it just looks like a big bump you might check it out get it checked out in case it's a tumor or something yeah when i i think probably that's gonna have to come next paycheck or something oh yeah because we're poor (laughs) so anyway you see a person on the side of the road, and then there's the argument that if you give this person money, they're going to spend it on heroin or beer or whatever 
they're not going to be responsible with it. Right. And uh, I guess one of the first questions is, should that somehow influence your decision to give them or not give them money? Yeah. I I say no. I say it shouldn't. And I, 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 I think you have a take on that, and I have a different take for why. Okay. My take is that um, if they spend it on heroin, does it really make any difference? I mean, this person is on the uh, side of the road and you're giving them money because they're claiming, I mean, if I don't eat, if I don't find a place to warm to sleep, then I'm going to die. But whether it's that or... In some cases, if I don't get a hit of heroin or some other drug, well, first of all, there are uh, certain physical um, problems that arise from them not getting heroin. Right, right. But aside from that, um, I, I think there are people in a state to where not giving the, if they don't get that heroin that night, I mean, you're the the disparity that they're in could drive them to suicide things like that mm-hmm. and i think you never really know if if they can survive a couple more days maybe some kind of miracle will happen or they'll for some reason change right right that's at the same time if you don't give it to them uh maybe they'll hit rock bottom which will force them to change but if you're talking about charity and the uh, works of charity, I don't think that really is a... It doesn't work. <laughs> I don't think I'm not going to give you money, and therefore I'm being charitable. I don't think that's really... That doesn't work. Yeah, that's that's that sounds like, like some of the... I, I don't know. That, that sounds like a uh, Ebenezer Scrooge brand of charity. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing is this. Okay, so let's, let's assume the worst. Let's, you know, they're going to take you know, your $5 or whatever you give them and, and, and go out and, and, um, get a fifth of mad dog 2020 or whatever. And that's where it's going, uh, you know, in a bottle. Um, well, you know, um, where do we get the charity that we can give to other people? Let's, what does charity be? You know, charity is, is, is basically love for another person and it's directed love for that other person. Well, the only reason we can exercise charity towards anyone else is because we have received that love first in Jesus who died for us. We're talking about an act of charity. And, you know, what is charity? Charity is love for another person. And when we uh, are doing an act of charity, we're actually, we're just giving charity that we've already received because the only reason we can love somebody else is because Jesus loved us first. And when he loved us, he did it completely. He died for us. Now, here's the thing that I think people tend to forget who who say, well, don't give them money because they're just going to spend it on, on booze or drugs or whatever. Jesus died for every single one of us at, knowing not only that some of us would waste uh, his redemption, 
but knowing which ones of us would waste his redemption, and he still died for those. And his, it is Catholic teaching that Christ died for the sinners as well as the righteous. Right. Yes. The that his uh his death redeemed the sins, his death paid the debt to the Father for the sins of everybody, not just those who would be saved, um, but even those who who end up in hell, Jesus still died for them and paid the de- their debt back to the Father for them. So knowing that, how can you then say, well, my act of charity is only going to go so far as I believe this person is, what, deserving? I believe this person right. is going to use my charity the way that I think it ought to be used. How can you do that? I don't, I don't think that that can be an authentic Christian act of charity to do that. So that's individually how we treat the poor. It gets a little bit, I mean, okay, so if you say I'm a charitable person, um, you've got, say you've got money that comes in every month and then you take a certain amount of that and somehow channel it to the poor. Okay. And... You mean like whether it's giving to your church so, or or to some local charity, something the, like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The question is, does that relieve you of obligations when you come face to face with someone who is standing in front of you asking for money? If you deny that person, can you still call yourself a charitable person? That's a tough one, and I, I, I honestly. I, I kind of feel like, no, I mean, I, I kind of feel like if, if, you know, if you're going to be the kind of person who can only be charitable in the abstract, which is kind of what you're doing when, when you give to a charity, you know, that you're, Mm -hmm. you're being charitable in the abstract, but I don't think that that is the fulfillment of, of the Christian command of charity. Right. It's the, I think you have to be charitable uh, in the particular. Yeah, when you have someone in front of you who is in need, to be able to turn away from that, mm-hmm. um, I, it kind of says something about your character yeah. in general. Yeah. And actually, bringing up Scrooge again, that was one of his uh, claims when in the beginning when the guy comes up and asks him for money. He said, well, I, I support these other institutions that help the poor. And it, even when it's pointed out to him that it doesn't actually help the poor, it just, uh, I guess, keeps them off the streets, um, that didn't matter. It was, you know, I support these institutions, and that's where my money goes, therefore I'm a charitable person. Right, the the, the, the workhouses and so forth. <laughs> Yeah, the prisons. Well, uh, yeah, the I support the prisons and workhouses to to get the poor off the street. That's my charity. Um, yeah, that's that's. But even even legitimate charity, you know, like like Catholic charities and that kind of stuff. Okay, it's good mm-hmm. to give to them. It's good to help them, you know, in, in their missions. But that that I don't think that can ever uh, absolve us of the responsibility to be charitable. Uh, to the extent that we can when we meet 
an individual person, uh, especially a person right. in need. I don't, I, I'm not a historian. It'd be nice if we could have a historian comment on this, but um, it seems like there was always part of a, um, it seems like there was always some sort of activity on the government's part to help the poor, especially orphans and widows. Um, I, I, I don't think it was as, um, I don't think it was always as spelled out as it is nowadays. Well, I know that. Well, even in, I mean, even in Britain, again, we go back to Scrooge, there were certain things that existed aside from the orphanages, but there were the, the poor houses where people who were in debt beyond their uh, scope to get out of debt could go and maybe work off the money that they owed. Right, right. And uh, yeah, because, I, I, <clears throat> I think you're right, especially, and, and I mean, I'm trying to think back, you know, to, to say, um, say the time of Christ, did, did the, uh, well, you know, in in uh, in Jerusalem specifically, um, and uh, the kingdom of Judah, you had King Herod, um, who was the Jewish king, and uh, you know, I, I you know, maybe I don't know whether he, you know, as as a king had, you know, some kind of ministry for orphans and widows or whatever, uh, or that was maybe just intended to be seen to as a local matter. Um, but what I'm trying to think is, was there any, you know, indication that, for example, um, either Pontius Pilate uh, or uh, the emperor himself, you know, the uh, from Rome, you know, did they tend to have programs in place for widows, orphans, that kind of thing? I, I, I don't know. It's that, that would be an interesting yeah. historical question. But... Certainly, uh, during the the rise of the uh, what we call would call the Holy Roman Empire, and then throughout the the Middle Ages, um, the governments did have such concerns, but they were very much kind of seen as part and parcel of the church itself, because there wasn't that much of a separation between the government and the church. It's you know the king was right. the 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 king of the uh you know his kingship was was blessed by the uh the church and then the church's activities were supported by the king and and you know it was kind of like this this symbiosis uh that yeah. existed and, and within that context certainly they did have that and i know that one of the things that happened um in uh the united kingdom uh, Britain and, and, and Ireland and Wales and those areas during the Protestant Reformation was that as part of the attack on the church, uh, what had once been the um, kind of the, the responsibility of the various um, monasteries and religious establishments and so forth to see to this stuff, um, which certainly the, you know, the, the, the king supported, but it was it, the administration of it was was pretty much uh, left to the various 
uh, local popular religious organizations throughout the lands. Well, yeah. uh, those were shut down. A lot of the properties uh, were taken away from the Catholic establishments as part of the persecutions of Catholics, taken into the hands of the governments. Um, and one of the excuses given was to bring the care for the poor, to bring the charitable works into part of the government responsibility of the king. And um, that's <laughs> that's kind of when... Uh, institutional poverty began to be a real problem in the United Kingdom is when it is when the responsibility for administering that was taken out of the hands of the of the local church the local church is and into the hands of the government you know one of the problems therein is that when you're dealing with governments um, distributing anything it has to uh there has to be a law behind it mm-hmm. and a rule behind it yeah and the distribution can only be according to that law there's no uh personal judgment that could be a part of this yeah there's no accommodation Where, of special circumstances or anything right but when you've got a a priest or a nun or even a layperson deciding uh, you know, we have this much money and we could put it here, or put it there. Then you've got someone, say, who's in a bad circumstance, just that isn't defined in the law, mm-hmm. could get special help. But that stopped existing in the in our current welfare system. And so you've got people who will misuse it and do misuse it. And then others who, uh, you know are in desperate need but can't get it yeah yeah you've got people who who have become experts at at gaming the system to get by and they're so good at it that you know that becomes their full-time job so to speak and 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 they do right just fine that with that and then people the people who really need it the ones who are you know through whatever you know um collusion of circumstances find themselves suddenly unable to provide for themselves and they really need it and they have no idea how the system works and they can't get what they need right and i've heard you know i i hear it a i hear it a lot especially from conservatives and if uh, most of my friends call me a liberal because this is a lot of times where i part with them Mm -hmm. that the solution here is to to cut these people off. These and and there are millions of Americans right now who are completely dependent on the welfare system, and that the solution is to just stop that. Here, go get a job. That's all you've got. Um, I I don't think you can take a person who. Um, okay, well, the the circumstance you just described is someone who normally does, um, who does work and who does pay their way in life is suddenly in a position where they can't. And they are kind of at a loss because they don't know how to get the money that they need to go on. And 
you know, generally they, they end up depending on, on family members and things like that. Um, but I think you could flip that around pretty quickly and say you've got a person who has never worked, doesn't even know how to work. Oh, or right. go get a job, you cut and you his, cut them off of welfare, they're, they're and it's like, equally okay, lost. right, and and then you've got um, a, a fair percentage who will turn to crime and and things like that to um, to make their living. It's kind of like it kind of reminds me of um, you've seen the movie uh, that that. Uh, mom used to like to watch um with um elvis presley uh follow, oh, follow that dream follow that dream okay yeah. so the the old man right and and he's he's uh the you know somebody comes along says something about the government he says don't talk to me about the government i tried to help the government with all their programs i tried to help them with their welfare i tried to help them with their relief so he's getting all this you know he's he's getting enrolled in these programs it's all he knows how to do, and his mentality is that he's helping the government by doing this stuff. Right. <laughs> well, I think it's that's comical actually, I because think that's, it's kind of true. Yeah, exactly. I think. I mean, it's a caricature, but I think it's 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 representative of something that's that's real there. <laughs> and I don't think the writers understood that it was. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's true. They they, they didn't know how how uh, how they were kind of hitting the nail on the head there. Yeah, but so, yeah, I mean, take, um, t- if if you just suddenly cut him off and say, well, in fact, that's one of the things that happened. They cut me off. He he says, right, and he doesn't know what to do. Well, that's what those that's what a lot of people they would be in that situation. They don't know what to do. And, and we've created this system. I look, we know how this happened. This was this was about the control of the masses. This is about. This is a uh, this is a voter base. Yeah, yeah, and that created a huge problem here in America. We've got just millions of people who um, are voting for their own benefits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you could almost dangerous. It's it's a it's a really awkward because in a way. I mean, okay, yeah, to 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 take some of these people and to say, okay, e- even even if you were to say, we're going to train you to be able to do the things you need to do to support yourself, and you know, the, the people who are capable. There are some people who just aren't capable; they don't mm-hmm. have the mental capacity or whatever. But the ones who, you know, you say, okay, we're going to train you to be able to to get a get along, get by, find a job, keep a job, show up for work every day. And, and and manage your money, okay, it would be painful for them to go through that process. They would have to work at it. They would have to do things that they've never done before. So even if you saw to it that, that they were uh, transitioned adequately and given everything they need, they would not want that. They would reject it. And so what we have is this awkward situation where a lot of people in the United States, uh, if you think about it, they're voting, you know, as voters, they're, they're actually voting for their own enslavement in this system. Yeah, it's a sad situation. I think, I, I mean, I, 
it's not like uh, we could come up with a plan and say, this is the solution, this is what we do, and it just go on off without a hitch. And, I, I mean, there's going to be problems no matter what we do. And if we're going to fix a problem, we definitely can't continue to do what we've been doing for the right. past 10 years. Right. Um, but one of, I, I mean, there are certain solutions that would help it. Number one would be uh, handing some of these things back over to churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, or at least local communities. Let let churches right. work with local governments to to handle some of these things. And and of course for churches, you know that that's where you. Um, I, I don't know what it is. I think once upon a time you had a lot more of of a Christian um, ethic in the Catholic Church of um, finding the way to allow people to take the responsibility for their lives mm-hmm. um, rather than just, um, you know, handing them a loaf of bread every day because they didn't want to go out and earn it. Um, right. Even today, I almost wonder if a lot of our inner city churches, uh, because you find these, you know, <laughs> you find a lot of them, you know, saying things that make you wonder, gee, well, are, are they just as bad as, as the socialists and some of their approaches to these? I, I almost even yeah. wonder if that, if it's kind of too late for that to even be a good solution. Yeah. Today. Yeah, I know. Part of the solution And this is an absolute, because part of the solution has to be that you have an economy that is able to support these people if they were to get off welfare. Right. The jobs need to be there. Yeah. You need a growth economy. If there are no jobs, there's nothing... In our economy... Um, you know, we, we've proven how to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the leftist way of doing it is to continue giving them money, which we, we know absolutely, um, only kind of, um, fortifies them into that state of poverty. Right. Right. If we are going to get people to work, then the jobs have to be there. In order to get the jobs there, there have to be people who are successful. Mm-hmm. Individuals. Yeah, pe- people who uh, are willing to pay other people to do stuff. And have, right. have the money to pay other people to do stuff. In order to have the money to do that, they they have to be rich. In other words, yeah. you have to have the rich in order to solve this problem. Right. Right, and unless not, everybody's going to work for a government, which well, uh, that doesn't history work. has shown is the bad way to do it. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, it's, work. It's it's eventually it eventually collapses because the you know I mean it, it stagnates and and you can't have a growth economy that is mainly government run. So yeah, you need people who have money, and we've yeah. shown that socialism well, isn't going to work. Not only that, not only do you need people that have money, you need people you. You need the people to be able to make money by 
organizing By paying other someone. people. And yeah, exactly. Okay. If, right. What's what's my motive to go pay, you know, these six people and those seventeen people to do these different jobs uh and to organize their labor into a successful enterprise that produces something that I can then sell. What's my motivation if I can't profit from doing that? Well, there is no motivation right. if I can't. I mean, that's that's it's kind of funny. Um, the idea that somebody's going to hand out money because they have a lot of it—that's ludicrous. Right. And when you hear when you hear modern, um, and I mean modern within the past five years, when you hear modern media talk about trickle down economics. They seem to think that's the way it was supposed to work, or that's oh. the way everyone thought it was going to work. Yeah, well, as if if this person has a bunch of money, they're much more to likely else. to pay their employees more. Yeah, and or just give it to people or something like that. I don't know why they thought that. Yeah, no, and that was never the plan. The, the, in fact, the, it's it's kind of funny. I was we were having a uh, email discussion with with some friends of ours. Um, about that very thing and this person um, had worked oh I, I don't know where he worked at, but he brought up the case um, where because of significant corporate tax cuts uh, Intel had um, you know with with this new uh, environment of lower taxes opened up a new um, uh, I don't know if it was a uh, a research plant or a, a factory or whatever, but they basically opened up a new place somewhere. Um, and employed people. And that employed people, lots of people. Um, uh, his and then he he. It's kind of funny because he was trying to make the point against so-called trickle down, and so he said they opened up this place, and then when those tax uh, breaks. Uh, were rescinded later, they ended up having to close the plant. Okay, so wait a minute. Didn't you just exactly prove the point, at least in this one microscopic example, creating the tax break, lowering the corporate taxes, employed more people and put money into regular people's hands, and increasing the taxes, what did it do? It put people out of work. Increasing the corporate yeah. taxes put people out of work. Lowering corporate taxes put people in work, which is exactly but the way it was supposed to work. But since uh, the government's always going to raise taxes again, I guess we should never lower them to begin with. Because um, then those people who get employed <laughs> might be unemployed all they might of a sudden. Become I don't know. I, that, that, maybe that the, was his point. I don't know. The funny thing is, I mean, okay, so you've got this... Uh, you've got this rich guy. He makes money on something. He makes more money suddenly because he's got a tax break. Um, and, and I've heard people say, well, he's just going to put it in the bank. He's not going to spend it. Well, let's say he does. Which is, I mean, I, okay, I mean, he yeah, could put so it under a mattress. Now the bank has money. He could put it under a mattress, okay? But you know what? They don't okay. do that. They, they put it in a bank. At the very worst, they put it in a bank. Yeah, that is the very worst, and it's not all that bad, because now the bank has money, and guess what they do with it? They're going to loan it. 
Yeah. In fact, they're they're probably going to loan a significant amount of that money to small businesses. Yeah. Some of whom may fail, some of whom may become big businesses. Right. But all of it is economic activity, and economic mm-hmm. activity is what fuels the whole nation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and when you've got a, like right now is a good time in America because Trump came along, he gave these giant tax breaks more toward the rich than other people. Um, and Reagan, not just the rich, but corporations. Yeah. Yeah. So these corporations have less tax money on them. Several things happen. First of all, they, they open more, um, factories or whatever, whatever they open, they open them. Yeah. And they, they hire people. That's the bottom line. They hire people. People get jobs. Yeah. Now, the more people who have jobs, the harder it is for these companies to find people to work for them. Again, this is where the lower class wins here because if they have to fight each other to get employees, that ends up making them pay more because yeah. if, I mean, if there's only two guys and there's three jobs open, the guy who ends up without an employee, um, his, he gets more problems. So he's, he's in a position where he, it, it's better for him to pay more to get that one employee so that he doesn't whatever go out of business or not have the work done. Right. So it, it's, that's how trickle down is meant to work. It's not people giving other people money because they Just have it. Just because too much. they have it. Right. No, exactly. It's because you and, leverage money. And it's money. being demonstrated right now with the tax breaks that uh the Republicans did this past year. It's happening right now as we speak. And I, th- I think in a year or two, you'll be able to demonstrate this uh, statistically. Yeah, yeah. I, it's a little of early course, for I, it now I'm, to I'm, show, but... I'm sure that, that there will be people who manage to twist whatever statistics there are, you know, just because yeah, they, well, it, it's yeah. anything that, you know... There, I've heard some people say <laughs> this is uh, Obama's doing, the, the current uh, economy right now, and oh. how well it's doing, that... Somehow Obama was responsible for all this. Oh, the kind of just like a this is this is the delayed a delayed reaction yeah. to all the Obama era, uh, Obama year. But nobody uh, can point to a single thing that Obama policies. has ever actually done that created jobs. Right, right. As a community, which means, see, it, it's a lot different in other countries. As a community in America, a community is the people who live in a geographic area mm-hmm. and the the people who live there and the people they elect to run that area. Yeah, yeah. So in a community, to deal with the poor, the first, especially when it comes to the gov- how the government's going to do this, the first real... Um, the moral responsibility. The, real, the responsibility is to make sure... That people can work. Yeah. In other words, to make sure there are jobs. In other words, to make it easy for businesses to do business in their towns and to prosper. 
Right. And I would say that's that, the that first responsibility. It's it's kind of it's not so much. See, that's where it gets kind of kind of dicey because um, I would say they they uh, if you say directly they have a responsibility to. Uh, and and I'm just going to put in uh, air quotes here, uh, make sure that the jobs are there, well, that kind of almost implies that the government's responsibility for, has a responsibility for creating specific jobs. But that's not really the point. Okay, yeah. The point is right. that, that the, the the first responsibility of us communally as a, as a you know, as a whole group and, and through our elected leaders is to make sure that the conditions are there to allow job growth so that as more people are coming into the community, as we grow as a community, so that we can support more people, so that we have the economic growth to be able to take care of each other, including those who, for whatever reasons, mental defect or whatever, can't participate in the normal way. Right. And most of the time, we can demonstrate by looking at... uh, what's gone in on in America since the beginning. Generally, the way for the government to do that is to get out of the way, to not put restrictions and to not put taxes on men who do business or businesses who want to conduct business in their communities. Yeah, yeah. I, obviously, there has to be some restrictions because yeah, I mean, you have usury... And things like that, right? One, it's, there's there's a, uh, um, of course, you know the th- the the ironic thing is that that as um, as we get more and more into um, what I would say the the world of uh, cheap communications, uh, with you know almost free communications, when you th- think about the level and yeah. type of communication that we can achieve, the, especially the person to person the person to many the many to one and so on and so forth um these communications um it's it's becoming increasingly hard i think for businesses to make a successful model out of uh true usury the kind of usury that enslaves groups of people because any options that are out there, people can find out about because communication is so ubiquitous in our society now. Now, it well, still happens, and, and we still need guards against it, but I think the the rise in communication is shrinking the number of areas and the kinds of specific regulations that the government has to enact. Yeah, and uh, another part of that is the fact that most of the usury is not from it's not from companies say squashing other companies by uh, it's the wrong way to start this. Most of it comes from uh, legislation. Oh, right. And through the when you've got say five companies who. Um, I'm I'm just going to go with the things that I know the most about. You got five companies who uh, sell toner cartridges. Mm-hmm. Now, one of them is in goods with 
the uh, you know the the legislators in that area, and he gets them to pass a law concerning the disposal of toner cartridges, right? To where it's going to cost money to dispose of toner cartridges, and either he gets a break from that law, or he happens to have enough money in capital to continue even if he's doing it at a loss, to continue to do business for a while, whereas the other four companies don't. Yeah, yeah. It was the government that actually destroyed that uh, competition. Right. And who put one and gave one power over the rest. And I think a lot of times the the problems that happen with people like, uh, with companies like Walmart... um, comes from that it's actually the government it's crony capitalism as trump has said over and over again right that's what causes the problem right it's it's not anti-free market capitalism in a sense right the company being so big that it can afford to lower its prices that's not what kills the competition yeah usually it's other things like regulations regulations that create you know, barriers to entry to the market and so on and so forth. Right. You know, when we've talked about socialism a couple times and okay, here's the thing. When we, when Pope Francis was first elected, um, I, I got kind of excited because I had heard he was an advocate for the poor. Mm -hmm. Um, He was an advocate for the poor which that's kind of one of my things having having gone through poverty for a fair uh, amount of time in my life mm-hmm. um and having been the recipient of certain charities things like uh people bringing food to your door um it's it's always going to be something that's close to my heart mm-hmm. so when i heard this about pope francis you know, I was pleased about that. Right. And then right. as his uh, as time went on, I realized that he's not really an advocate for the poor at all. Um, and that's when we started to get into the things like socialism. And right. the churches, you know, Pope Leo the, what is it? 13th? Uh, 13th? I 13th so. mm-hmm. uh, rejects socialism very clearly. And then we've got uh, Pope Francis coming out with documents like, uh, what was the name of that document? Uh, it was the uh, Evan- Evan- Evangelium Gaudium. Gaudium? Evangelium Gaudium. Evangelium. Yeah, the, the joy of Evangelium is... Uh, evangelism, but more generally, it's it can be translated as gospel. So it's the joy of the gospel. That 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 would be a good good way of understanding the what the title means. Okay, so in the joy of the gospel, he suddenly decided he's going to uh, criticize things like trickle down economics, which once you read it, it's very obviously he knows nothing about it because. As I mentioned earlier, there's this kind of weird thing lately where they talk about trickle-down as if 
it's somehow tied to charity. Mm -hmm. Right. Which it isn't. And we've got quotes coming from Pope Francis. Um, uh, He talks about uh, economic growth encouraged by free market, which will succeed in bringing greater justice and inclusiveness, which it does. We know that. Um, And then he gives the opinion that that this has never been confirmed by facts. Although a a century of history does confirm it, yeah. I mean, a century and a half of history. I would think so. If we look at America and compare it to pretty much every other nation, Mm -hmm. or we can go back even earlier and we could look at Rome, which I don't know what you would call the economy in Rome, but there was a there was something of a free market there mm-hmm. and poor people, even slaves were getting rich because of the, the ability to uh, engage in the economy. I, at least that's right. That's right. what was talked about in a uh, documentary I was watching on the Roman empire, but you had, you had situations where people who could come from nothing and could make money. So whether we're, and we know that happens in America all the time. The uh, Starbucks guy, Howard Schultz, who uh, started Starbucks, he, if I understand right, he started with nothing. Uh, he was poor and he created an empire which employs million, uh, well, yeah, thousands at least yeah. of people. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of economic development because of his company. Right. And right. it's inclusive. Yeah. It, it, and that's that's the point. That's the, I guess that's the point that uh, th- this this idea that somehow this free market economy is not inclusive, the fact that he was able to do that, uh, it, you know, it's kind of wrong-headed to look at the fact that that he's rich and somebody else is poor. The point is that he was poor and he was able to do this, and so could any other poor person under the right circumstances, with the right drive and and uh, smarts and so on and so forth. I mean, not everybody can be rich. We can't, you know, that would kind of make you know. I think that meaningless at one time. Um, when you talked about economies, I, at one point in history, perhaps your wealth was very, um, it was determined by what you had, say, in your backyard. If you had oh. coal or oil in your property, then you had wealth. Right. And right. Or if you had a flock of sheep, if you had 300 sheep. That was your wealth. Now you've got 300 sheep. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's, so if someone had uh, a a mountain full of coal that they could mine, that meant someone else did not have a mountain full of coal that they could mine. Mm -hmm. And it's very different nowadays because um, it kind of doesn't matter what my neighbor has. I can I can get the same thing. Yeah. I don't yeah. have to own anything specific in order to do it, in order to enjoy economic uh, 
success. Right, right. And, and you know, the, there, there seems to be a attitude that by creating the opportunities for economic success for everybody, and, and I, I'm just kind of reading the, uh, the Pope's um, paragraph, especially paragraph 54 in, in this Evangelii Gaudium. Um, he says, in this context, he's talking about the context of, um, you know, people, masses of people that, that don't seem to have any hope or possibilities or whatever, which that ironically it doesn't exist in those countries that in that that in paragraph 54 follow the economic system he's about to criticize um in this context some people continue to defend trickle down theories which assume that economic growth encouraged by a free market will inevitably succeed in bringing about greater justice and inclusiveness well first of all inclusiveness is one of those uh, one of those strange words it 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 kind of doesn't mean anything but it feels good to say it it's it's you know it it reminds me of a yeah of a quote uh by oscar wilde he's he's talking about a sentimentalist he said a sentimentalist is one who desires to have the luxury of an emotion without paying for it um well inclusiveness is is a sentimentalist kind of word in that sense it's 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 something that lets people feel good without having to pay the cost of feeling good by actually doing good. Um, yeah. And, and, but, but then the Pope goes on to say that this opinion, uh, which I guess he means the opinion that economic growth brings about justice and inclusiveness or something, has never been confirmed by facts. Well, it, I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't even know how, you know, how, I don't even know what that sentence means because, um, I, you know, the the thing is, an economic system is just a framework within which people can live out something, and and the economic system either allows them to do certain things, or through a legislative approach to the economy, it doesn't allow them. So, I I don't. It, it's kind of like a mismatch of things. It's it's almost like you know if like if he was saying you know some people continue to uh defend uh the assumption that high power railway engines will inevitably succeed and in bringing about uh better breakfasts uh, you, you know it's like well yeah i okay i what well, you know okay well, it, not really. People don't assume that. But if you want to look at the facts of it, the fact that we have railroads is how you get oranges from California or from Florida to the state of Minnesota or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, right. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> I, it, it, it there, there's not an assumption that it inevitably, but it's, it's kind of just kind of been observed as a mechanism that it sort of kind of makes it work yeah. better that way. But then it's kind of interesting. He says, uh, towards the end of the paragraph, well, he says the um, the the opinion expresses a crude and naive trust in the goodness of those wielding economic power. Well, again, not really, but it it says that it doesn't at all. Uh, yeah, because it you know, trusts in the fact that economic power 
Well, what, what is economic power? It's the it's it's the power to 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 make economic decisions, which rests in the hands of everybody in a free economy. I mean, that's right. that's the beauty of a free economy is that economic power is distributed, which means that everybody gets to contribute, and those who together collectively because they belong to a church and and because Christianity is maybe free to preach its message in in a free, you know, political system, well then coupled that with a free economy means that we're free to take some of our economic resources and put it towards maybe charitable works or whatever. Um but then it's it's kind of interesting he he kind of switches um vocabulary in the last sentence um, or the, the second last sentence of the paragraph he says the culture of prosperity deadens us well so far he's been work talking about an economy and suddenly he uses the word culture as though a free market economy is necessarily paired with or associated with a culture that values economic prosperity above everything else. And I think that's yeah. that's the the that's the break. That's the non sequitur in so many people's thinking about economics. They they assume that, well, if if your economic system isn't somehow set up to force everybody to take these specific government actions towards supporting the poor through this program and this program and this program, if you're not doing that, then what you're doing is encouraging everybody to value their own personal prosperity above everything else. And it just doesn't work. That, that, that There's no link between those. Because yeah. ultimately the, the, the culture is going to come through the, the, the human-to-human interactions as well as, you know, things like the teachings of the church and the work of the church to help people understand how to live, to be, you know, uh, more complete uh, human beings according to uh, the vision of God and so on and so forth. And, and maybe other organizations, you know, have their things. Maybe the Hindus have their things, whatever. But the point is, it's that kind of stuff. It's those personal interactions that are not economic in nature that drives culture and then the culture the more free the economy is the more free that culture is to manifest itself the you know the fact is uh when he talks about economic power the the only time economic power is um concentrated is when the government takes it away from people via taxes and, and forced uh, things like forced health care and things like that. Right, right. I mean, if the economic power, my economic power is to call uh, this phone company or that phone company to decide who's going to get my business. That's the economic, pa- that's economic power in yeah. the United States. Right. I, that I, economic I... power doesn't exist in socialist countries. Right. Right. I, can, I have no economic power. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, I can buy my pizza from, from Domino's or Pizza Hut. I'll buy from Domino's because I like the CEO and his support of the, you know, pro-life cause and stuff like that. And, and his, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, in, in uh, right, in a, uh, uh, in a fully socialist economy, if you want to take it to its, its ideal, um, you know, as an extreme extreme well you you probably don't even have pizza (laughs) yeah they can't afford it if you got you can't afford it and if there's if there's no compelling uh uh state interest in people having pizza as a food option well then you're not going to have pizza you know um now, in 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 reality, uh, there's there's probably going to always be a certain amount of you know in in whatever socialist economy there's going to be a certain amount of, um, uh, I guess, finer enjoyments you know various food cuisines and and food preparations as well as maybe you know certain kind of music and performance and stuff like that why because mm-hmm. somebody's going to be in power in a socialist economy and the people in power are not going to give those things up and so somebody has to be able to right. create those and i guess <laughs> here's where trickle down it, it it's almost like trickle down is is almost like a natural law here in that sense even in a socialist country, those realities are going to trickle down and therefore be somewhat available in in the normal uh, baseline society as well. So, yeah, you'll 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 go to the market, and even though all the prices are going to be set, um, and even though it's it's going to be you know very controlled, you'll still have the choice whether you're going to go home with beef or fish. All right, fine, whatever. Um, but you really you know, it, it's almost like your 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 options are among the various subsistence options, and you don't have any opportunities for the development of, uh, you know, what we'd call maybe high culture. You know, art and and mm-hmm. literature and the enjoyment of of reading or attending plays with your family or whatever. I, I don't know how we ended up to this spot in in not just our nation, but in in the world where people are still looking at socialism and or communism as the way to uh, end poverty or even to help poverty or helped the people who are poor. Yeah, yeah. It's a... It's an odd thing when we've shown in the past 100, 200 years how well our system works, and mm-hmm. yet it's still being rejected. Right. And right. not just how well it worked, but how well it um, liberates certain groups of people who have always been um, under some kind of oppression. Yeah. yeah. For example, slaves, or or not even just the people who aren't very smart or mm-hmm. uh women and things like that right right and or you know it's kind of interesting that i was just i had reason to to look up a little bit about the the uh history of uh chinese immigrants in in the um uh kind of especially out west in, the, in california stuff but related to the railroad yeah, expansion the gold, and that kind of stuff gold guys. 
Well, you know, the consider the generations of Chinese, uh, de, you know, descendants. We might call them Chinese Americans, but people who from the 19th century, you know, their families were here in the United States compared with people, you know, those same, maybe the, the branches of those same families today living in China. The, the ones who came to the United States, uh, they came here, okay, they had hardly anything and uh, they did whatever they could to find work. They, they became cleaners, they became cooks, they became uh, errand boys. They would take railroad work if, if it was available. I mean, a lot of them came thinking that they were going to find gold in the hills of California, and it didn't, uh, that didn't yeah. quite uh, pan out the way everybody thought it was going to. Uh, a lot of the, the uh, availability of gold was exaggerated. But once they were here, they did what they had to do, and they, and they sought work. And, uh, you know, once, once their uh, um, work ethic was observed by, by, you know, railroad bosses and so forth, they, they kind of became the, the favorites. They, uh, you know, they weren't, uh, they were paid, you know, reasonably well compared to, say, white guys uh, working for the same, you know, railroad companies uh, might not be exactly equal. But they were certainly appreciated, uh, and well, today they weren't, they weren't scared to load the dynamite. That's the thing. Well, they, they weren't scared to load. The, well, the, and the thing is, they they had a stick to itness in in their work ethic that uh, that even a lot of Americans yeah. didn't necessarily have, and so they would work. You know, if they needed to work sun up to sundown in order to get their daily wage, that's what they would do. And they, yeah. uh, but the thing is, today, I, you know, the, look at. Uh, you know, the, the 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 descendants today in America of those Chinese who came to America in the 19th century, um, and how well they're doing, you know, as a group compared with their families who stayed in China and today are living under the uh, you know Chinese communist regime. Um, I, this, I don't think there's any comparison in the, right. uh, level of opportunity, the, the level of, of access they have to the goods of society and so on and so forth. Um, that's, you know, I think that's, that's the kind of, uh, you know, study if people would just think a little bit about it, there would be no way that they could support something like socialism. Um, yeah. But you know, for for some reason that it's become a, um, I don't know, that modern modern America is infatuated with socialism for some reason. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe other parts of the world too. Maybe it's not just an American thing, but uh, you know, it's like it, it's it's kind of weird. It's like you know, what what other think of a person who uh, I don't know, think of a financial uh prognosticator okay i'm going to tell you the i'm going to tell you what stocks to buy in the, the stock market and which bonds to buy and i'm going to make you money by by saying which which stocks are going to go up and which are going to go down and what you should buy and and when and so on and so forth and he's consistently wrong i mean not just not even not even hits it like like 
you know, 50-50. Like, can't even by accident get it right. Yeah, not to, he, he doesn't even he doesn't even do it as well as a random, uh, you know, stock purchase generator would do. He's consistently wrong. He consistently loses everything. And yet people keep wanting to believe in him and try it again and again and again. It's for some reason socialism enjoys that that kind of a weird uh, aura of nobody wanting to um, consider the reality of past performance. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's odd, and it's especially attractive to millennials right now. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they're they gung-ho for it. And we can point uh, right across the continent to, well, down south of us, where it's it's gotten so bad that people are starving to death. Yeah. But um, there's an absolute refuse, refusal to see it for what it is. I think, you know, I actually have an explanation for the millennials. I mean, the, yeah, there's a refusal... Uh, but for some reason, the last generation of schooling of of in, you know the, of education in the United States has rejected the idea of critical thinking. They've rejected the idea of applying reason and instead somehow relied on replaced it with this idea of responding to mere feelings of of justice mere feelings of right and wrong feelings of you know inclusiveness yeah. or exclusivity and uh, you know feelings of um you know it it, it, it kind of like comes back to the whole world word social justice um yeah. they talk about social justice well it's it's they the American education system seems to have turned that into a uh, like a sentimentalism, um, a la Oscar Wilde, and um, and replaced any semblance of a thought process with a mere emotional process. Again, yeah. but but without the cost of a of a genuine emotion. And so people are just naturally reacting to that. And so, you know, they're, they grab onto, you know, for example, socialism, which makes a promise and they latch onto the promise because, hey, that's a good thing. Well, why wouldn't you be in favor of that? Right. And, and well, they don't even, it's, it's like, it. not only do they not possess the critical thinking skills to realize why the promises is an empty one? Um, it's almost like they've been trained to not even um, accept not as even valid. Accepted. Yeah. It's, it's like they don't even accept the process of reason as a valid process to consider a course of action. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I see. I think a lot of these people are going to grow up. Well, I hope, I hope it happens anyway. soon. Yeah, because it, uh, you know the the. Here's the thing: if it if they don't grow up, uh, we're going to have a lot more poor to to have some kind of responsibility to help, 
and a lot fewer ways and a lot less resources to help them. Right. Well, I don't know if we're actually even on topic anymore, but um, <laughs> I mean, basically, this is just kind of it's yeah, it, there's it, a problem of poverty and what yep. do you do about it. And we've covered personally what how a Catholic should react to the poor right. and how as a society we should be uh, um, what possible solutions there are. Now, as the church, um, again, we've got this weird thing where the Pope is embracing something that's already been rejected. Right, right. And the, but, but, you know, nonetheless, I mean, it's, I think it's worth thinking about what should the church really be doing? Well, I mean, obviously on a local level, like you talk about your parish and so on and so forth, we should still be engaged in that attempt to drive a one-on-one engagement of the poor okay there are poor people right here in our community to the extent that 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 we can find opportunities through our parish to help them we should be doing so and especially especially uh when it also helps them not just as individuals but as families you know um right if it's if it's a father out of work and the church, you know, it goes back to something we were saying before. If our local parish has somebody who, for example, knows the welfare system uh, and they can help this father who just found himself out of work uh, to figure out how to plug into that while looking for a job to get back on his feet and to be able to provide yeah. for his family again. Well, the church is in a unique position to do that in a way that doesn't just enslave the father to the system, but but rather because we're coming from a Christian perspective, continues to exhort him to step up and do what it takes to resume that role of providing for his family and and to offer the right encouragement that hey you know it's tough now um and it may feel humiliating to accept this charity but right now if if you don't have a job that humility that humiliation uh that's the responsibility that that you have to provide your for your family that's that's kind of your job right mm-hmm. now because you still got to provide but don't give up that desire to to find that job and and to provide for them, you know, without having to draw on that level of charity, uh, and and maybe even get yourself to a position where you can then offer that charity to somebody else. But because uh, right. you know a, a government worker is not going to give that perspective to it, so that's no, something that's something the church can do is is to help people to to have the experts on the one side but that personal touch on the other side. Right. Well, uh, let's see. We don't have a whole lot happening this week in current events. Um, No. We do have a couple weird things. So we've got Michael Cohen's testimony. Did you you watch him? No, I didn't. I I mean, I saw a lot. Okay. (laughs) I saw all kinds of memes. I saw clips. (laughs) Oh, you saw memes. I saw memes. I like, saw a lot of clips. You know, one of one of like like you know him saying, "Okay, well then, Trump poured bleach all over me, and you know, went." And, 
Oh. And stuff like that. <laughs> I, um, I, I, so, I, I, I read the uh, summary, you know, upshot. Okay, he said a few things that were embarrassing, but no smoking gun. Yeah, he didn't He didn't really have anything. And uh, the it's like the things that the Democrats had been hoping for were not there at all. Mm-hmm. So what he ended up doing was going back to all of the Democrat talking points of racism and misogyny and all that crap. Oh. And, I, I mean, that's really all he had to say. And he had no way to demonstrate these things. It was just the accusation itself. Mm-hmm. Like, he couldn't say, Trump hates black people, and this is how I know it. Instead... He just said, Trump is a racist. That's all. Oh. <laughs> you know? It, it was... The whole thing was without substance, but so, I, I... So... A case of diarrhea of the mouth. Yeah, and basically. and maybe constipation of the brain. Right, and meanwhile, Trump is in uh, Vietnam, trying to you know. Yeah, that's one to... of the most shameful aspects of it. Trump. You know, our presidents in Vietnam trying to secure security for the whole Korean Peninsula, and we have the the Dems the Democrats stage this thing with this guy to try to shame the president while he's engaged trying to make some people's lives you know it's, I, right. we, we can't imagine what it's like to live in, in the Korean Peninsula right now, South Korea or North Korea and and the, the threat of destabilization that exists there right now and our president's trying to address that and bring some stability to the, the area um and, uh, and we're undermining him while he's there. And uh, some economic reforms to, uh, possibly economic reforms right, to right. North Korea. and Right, to a country people... that's just in abject poverty because of, the, because of uh, Kim Jong-un's, um, you know, uh, totalitarian uh, government. Yeah. And, and so, leading up to this summit or whatever it was, um, the media kept talking about how Trump, because he's so willing to strike a deal, will agree to just about anything and sell us out. Mm-hmm. And what he ends up doing is walking away, not signing anything. Which was and exactly so the right thing to do under the circumstances. Right. But now they're going to c- criticize that and... I, the whole, I don't know. I, I'm going to trust Trump on this one. Yeah, I I, I do too. I, but you know the but yeah that whole staging of the Cohen thing during that summit was shameful. That was sad. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, we had that going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, voters in Cuba approved a new constitution. Oh, did they? And it recognizes private. And cooperative businesses. Okay, that's a step. That's a step. That is a good step. And so, it sets term limits for the president there. So I have not really paid attention to Cuba since Fidel's death and Rose stepping in. I initially heard that he was, if anything, more um, uh, more of a dictator than, than Fidel. Is, is that starting to change or something or is he showing slightly different colors or what 
I do you know don't anything about know. that? Okay, so uh, the I, I don't know the new constitution affirmed. Here's the way this is worded: affirms an irrevocable socialist government. Ah, okay. So, so that's the first thing. We're socialist. We're not going to change. The people had to accept that to get a new constitution. So it doesn't sound like it. Yeah, doesn't even sound with. Like it. I mean, okay, private businesses, maybe there are things like. The hope was in China that with all the trading that we did and there were certain economic freedoms that were granted to the people that um, China would start to see the, the prosperity <laughs> would urge people away from socialism and communism. communism. Right, right. But it it, it kind of doesn't work, I don't think, without real economic freedom because... Yeah. You just end up with crony crap capitalism. You, you can't get that without overthrowing the government that's there. And one yeah. thing we know about socialist governments is that they don't... They don't they, go away. They don't go away. You, you have to overthrow them violently. You have to, to rout them and right. get them out. Speaking of communism, uh, Vladimir Putin oh, is warning us... He's going to deploy all about in the Europe. Uh, missiles in Europe. Yeah, if we yeah. if we deploy missiles in Europe again, uh, I don't know. This is after two years of, of uh, the media saying that Trump is in Putin's uh, back pocket, and then we get this, and I, yeah, I it doesn't say, sound like it. <laughs> you know, I. You know, the thing is that, uh, I, you know, NATO is still a reality. And as long as it's a reality and as long as we're part of, of it, I, you know, I think we should make a forceful stance that we're going to live up to our responsibilities. And if that means that, that strategically we think the best way is to, you know, put some missiles in Europe or whatever, mm-hmm. um, we ought to be ready to do that. Now, I, the way I understand it, we don't have any immediate plans to do that. It's, it's not something that we wanted to do and, and we're backing down or anything. We just didn't plan to do it. But with, with Russia coming on with a statement like this, uh, obviously something caused Putin to have a concern. Uh, I, you know, if, if we're going to say, well, we don't have any plans to do that, we should make it clear that, but it's not because of you. You know what I mean? We should make yeah. it, it should be, well, we don't have any plans to do that yet. But when we, well, you know, I th- if, I think if, we, if there's I ever think a reason, plans, you're not going to stop us. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we are planning this, though. Are we? It is in the plans to put uh, intermediate range missiles in Into Europe. Europe. Yeah. 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 Now, you Considering know, I, how much we protect Europe, I think we ought to have them someday. Yeah. Or, you know, it's kind of funny. I saw a, um, and I don't have the the link to it or anything. I should have made a note of it so that we could talk about this. I saw some kind of um, story about uh, about technology, you know, so like like fighter jet technology. Hold on just a minute. Are you talking about those, those uh, jets that Putin claimed to have that, could fly fly faster than everything we had and no because um, he he made up some stuff once that that he had this new technology that we wanted and uh 
it, I, I'm pretty sure it just ended up in lying, uh, and he didn't have anything like it. Uh, okay, these are, I think it's the, uh, the, uh, F-35s, but I may be mistaken, but, but fighter, uh, well, uh, tactical airplanes that could, uh, fly fast enough to intercept and destroy intercontinental ballistic missiles while they're still in the, the, uh, atmospheric, the, you know, when they launch, they, they launch, and because they're ballistic, they basically launch and then they're on their path. They don't have, they're not guided or anything like that. That's, that's what ballistic means. So they launch, and then once they're launched, they follow a path and, and basically, usually over the north, you know, somewhere from, say, Russia or wherever they are into some target in the United States or whatever. Um, but these uh, fighter jets are fast enough and equipped in such a way that they would be able to intercept and destroy the ICBMs after they launch before they make it out of the atmosphere uh, in the, you know, before they get to the, the top of their trajectory to start coming back down. So it's basically while they're on their way up now. And we have these. Well, there was, I saw a article that, that had some kind of discussion about them. It, it, it's, I don't know whether it's just a design right now, um, or whether it's something that, that we have some prototypes of, um, or what it is, but here's what interested me about that. The article was fairly, you know, favorable, I think. Um, and I forget what, what, uh, you know, news source I saw it in. But here's the thing. Um, it, it kind of like it was touting it as the kind of a thing that could change the dynamic of, you know, uh, kind of, you know, the, the, the question of, of nuclear warfare and that kind of stuff. Because that's what, you know, the big ICBM stuff is, is all about, the nuclear warfare. Well, you know, if, if you can, if you can... Um, eliminate them as a threat then you no longer worry about counter deterrence in quite the same way there's there's different kinds of deterrence that you need to start thinking of strategically then so but what was interesting is that there was no reference in this article back to Ronald Reagan's strategic defense initiative SDI which everybody Everybody called it Star Wars because at the time, the the which you could call the toys of the Pentagon involved satellites and 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 you know high energy beams and that kind of stuff and so everybody thought in those terms, but the actual intention of Strategic Defense Initiative wasn't to have necessarily Star Wars, wasn't to have necessarily space based. It was just to find some kind of. Uh, some kind of mechanism by which we could neutralize the threat of intercontinental ballistic missiles to the United States. And this kind of a thing is like exactly in that spirit. It's like, wait, you know, why are we only talking about this now? We should have been, we should have been at this point 
uh, you know, if if um, many moons ago, yeah, you're, you know, I, Reagan gave us the 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 groundwork and the framework to pursue this. Why didn't we achieve this? You know, back in the nineties. I so anyway, that's Reagan was gone and <laughs> Trump hadn't come yet. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's yeah. I did. You know, that's it's odd. That that must be it. But it, uh, anyway, and, and it was. It was laid out as if if we did these things, that is somehow a threat to Russia and yeah. would provoke them into war. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. Well, it's, if we uh, if we make it so that so that their nuclear launches against us, which they you know they knew that that conventional you know the, it's not like they were going to attack the United States uh, in any kind of conventional way. They, the you know the big thing about Russia was this: they wanted to be able to expand by militarily conquering countries usually what they would do is they would foment some kind of internal socialist revolutionary groups within a country and then they would send their military um, aid to those groups to overthrow the government and now it's a new socialist uh, country which joins the USSR that was their their modus operandi well what they were really worried about was the United States being able to stop them in a country for you know basically us to be able to help a government of one of these countries protect itself like vietnam from the socialist revolutionaries exactly like we tried to do in the far east and so uh you know russia's thought was well hey we'll have all these nukes and if the united states tries to interfere we have this threat that we can send nukes their way. And then the United States has nukes that says, well, if you send nukes our way, we'll send nukes your way. Now we've got this mutually assured destruction, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so then we develop a technology, hypothetically, that uh, neutralizes their nukes, and that's supposed to uh, upset the balance of mutually assured destruction. But the problem yeah. is, since the United States was not imperialist anyway, the way the USSR was, that shouldn't have been anybody's... That You know, people should have praised right. that kind of imbalance. And yet, for some right. reason, people were against it. I don't get it. Yeah, they still are. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. The crazy things people think. Right. It's weird. Well, okay, speaking of crazy things, I have a few uh, from the... Uh, I guess news from the nation of uh, nonsense. Um, what do you got? <laughs> so, okay. Uh, everybody knows about rabies, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this 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 woman, a um, she's a wildlife biologist in Florida, uh, had a concern for rabies after she was trying to help a stray kitten that she saw and got bitten. And it was just, you know, she, you know, just a, she didn't know about it. And so she went in and out of a concern for rabies, she received a few shots from the hospital. Nobody told her, you know, anything, but it turned out that the cost of these shots was, uh, the, well, particularly the one that, uh, known as rabies immune globulin was $46,000. $46,000 for rabies shots? For a rabies, for a, a single rabies shot for 12 milliliters of a particular rabies, uh, uh, I, vaccine isn't the right word, but a, uh, uh, a rabies shot. Yeah. Now here's the thing. Um, 
the hospital itself uh, has the average cost of that medicine as only $361 per milliliter, uh, which would have come to about $4,000. But for some reason, they had a certain kind of, uh, you know, they... I guess the price changes according to various circumstances around the world. Maybe, maybe which government is is under threat from which other government where the the thing is manufactured. So did or something. she have to pay I don't know what it is. Well, it turns out her insurance covers most of it. Her husband works for the post office, and they have reasonable insurance. So ninety percent of it is covered. Um, plus, the other ten percent, in theory, it turns out is pro. You know, if she can prevail is going to be covered because since it was an animal bite, uh, her insurance says that it should have been treated as an, a, um, an accident, uh, you know, an accident injury, which should have been covered 100% after deductible. So she's going to, you know, resubmit the claim and hopefully the insurance will pay the rest of it out and it won't be any big deal. But even the fact that the insurance company has to pay this much money, I think is pretty it's outrageous. Kind of outrageous. <laughs> and I think she, if I lived there, where was this? <laughs> this was in Florida. Oh, it's in America. It's in America. This is in America. This is this is the... Uh, uh, the I think if, Kaiser, if my wife got... Kaiser Health Network in Florida. A rabid cat. I think I would uh, just lock her up for 10 days and see what happens. Yeah, make sure. Rather than spend right. $46,000. For a shot. Let's well. make sure you have rabies first. <laughs> she, well, <laughs> she's, she's... Lock her up for 10 days and see if she foams at the mouth or something. She jokes it would have been cheaper just to die because funerals cost less than that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it costs a lot to live yeah. in Florida. Now, actually, Florida's not that bad. No, no. They now they Florida is kind of um, uh, they they have kind of strict rules about taxes and stuff. Like when you move there, you have to immediately tell them. Like you have thirty days to tell them that you're living there, uh, which is stricter than a lot of other places because they don't want people who to um, do like their. Um, like snowbirding, like like people like they yeah. go to Arizona, yeah. have a Pretend home in to Arizona, live there just so they don't have to pay taxes. Well, or like they'll go and live in Arizona for um, you know three months and then come back to wherever they really oh. live, or you know three months of the of the uh, winter and then come back to where they ever they really live. And yeah. Florida, you know, it's like okay, you're here three months, but while you're here for those three months, you know, you you get the benefits of living here, but you're not contributing to our tax system at all. So they require you to actually declare residency if you're there for more than 30 days. You know, they don't have a to try to discourage that. Tax. They don't. I didn't know that. Right. They have, well, that's that's pretty cool. They probably have a little bit higher yeah. sales tax or something like that. I think Texas is another is another yeah. one without a state income tax. So yeah. All right. Um, they've got a. Uh, <laughs> guy got arrested for wearing not arrested guy got the police called on him for wearing a panda suit um, a panda suit <laughs> you know one of those full size panda suits that you can well you full size anything suit okay so he's got they didn't arrest him but he's in a panda suit and <laughs> what was happening he, he was supposed to be uh, dog sitting at another person's house and they were away, and he he knew that these guys had a uh, house cam, uh, 
which they would be checking in and stuff like that. So he thought it would be kind of a funny prank. He'd walk over to their house in this big full panda suit that he has and yeah, to you know feed the dog and that kind of stuff. And so they go on their camera and they think there's house. this panda in their house. Well, he didn't even get away from his driveway. He was out the front door locking up his house or whatever he was doing. And some other neighbor saw him, didn't realize he was the guy that lived there, and called the police that there's this big teddy bear out on my neighbor's front porch. <laughs> Somebody's breaking into my neighbor's house. And, the, and, and so he turns to start walking down his walkway to go to his neighbor's house. And suddenly the police are coming in with their lights and Not stuff. Not so fast. <laughs> yeah. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> so, anyway. All right, my third and last one. Minnesota. Uh, police get a call. You know, Minnesota's one of those cold states, right? And, and, and recently, they, you know, we had a little bit of a cold spell. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Okay, okay. so uh, police get this call of concern. Uh, they need to check on the welfare of an adult male that, that has been reporting standing outside with no coat on, hugging a pillow. Um, now, <laughs> it turns out, you ever seen those, uh, um, that, that product MyPillow? And the guy's on and he's, uh, you know, talking about the pillow. This is the only pillow you'll ever need and, and it stays, uh, yeah. you know. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> Turns out there was a cutout of that guy. You know those those cutouts that that you know life size cutouts of various things you can get. Oh. <laughs> so it wasn't a real guy. It was a cutout, cardboard cutout of that guy holding his his my pillow. <laughs> naked man in the front yard holding a pillow. Yeah, well, it's not a naked man. He just didn't have a coat on. But but okay. uh, neighbors. <laughs> Neighbors called. Hey, there's a guy out there. He doesn't have a coat on. You should go check on his welfare. He might be mentally, uh, you know, deficient or something. <laughs> so the police got called to to check on the welfare of this cardboard cutout. <laughs> I bet they got joked about a lot. <laughs> Poor guys I, who had to go there. I know. Just the conversations back <laughs> back at the uh, mm-hmm. station. <laughs> it's not an actual man. <laughs> Just a cutout, guys. Nothing to see here. <laughs> yeah, move along. All right, set up a perimeter. I'm going to have to cut it, make a big cut. You know what? We have some cutouts of ourselves, don't we, that we could put in our front lawn the next time. And yours is shirtless, ain't it? No. You have a shirtless cutout, don't you? I don't have one. Mine mine was oh. not shirtless, and, and uh, I tried to find shirtless, but, but the only shirtless one had a stupid look on my face. Okay. So. We should it's... tell them what we're talking about. <laughs> um, I got big poster printers. Uh, I bought some that I was going to fix and resell. And so for Christmas, somebody mentioned uh, doing a, a, we should, I should give my wife a life-size nude poster of myself. So all the guys in our family, um, we took pictures of ourselves, and I... Not, not nude. Not nude. Sometimes shirtless. Yeah. I think... Which is okay. I was wearing a loincloth, but we made life-size posters and gave them to our wives. So, we do have life-size uh, 
we could have life-size cutouts, cutouts of ourselves, That's and right. we could put it on the front lawn and see if the cops get called. Yep. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> have to do it when it's cold, otherwise nobody would, would be concerned for our welfare. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I would do it when it's cold. I would want everybody to be concerned to see if I could... We could have a contest in which one of us could get the cops there to pay us. <laughs> <laughs> Whose welfare people really care about? You know what? I wouldn't get the cops. Jason called. would win. I, I live at. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I, I live in a neighborhood that that has a neighborhood association. It's it's, it's one of those neighborhoods. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, it's. I can't say enough bad things about those neighborhoods. But anyway, I wouldn't get the cops called. I I would probably get the neighborhood get association fine. called on me. Yeah, you get a fine. <laughs> Some kind Jason of a would fine. have the cops called within five minutes because all his neighbors are in love with him. Oh, <laughs> I would get eggs thrown at me. Look at that stupid idiot! Hey, let's go throw some eggs at him. No, wait a minute okay. though. People would be afraid of yours. Is, aren't you like chasing with a tomahawk or something? That's right. I have like a. I don't think anybody would I mess with a, you. I have a. No, let's see. Greg has the um, the machete. Uh-huh. I can't remember what I have. I have something. I can't remember what. I probably do have a tomahawk. All right. I'll well, I anyway. again. It was a long time ago. <laughs> All right. We should wrap up. Um, Okay, thanks for listening to a podcast about Catholic things. Remember to circle circle the the beads. beads. Think about what we said, and hopefully we'll see you next week. All right, thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.